Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 183. What about hot dogs in the street? My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. And to my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Maybe you just don't bother being picky at all if you are hot dogs. In the street. M- maybe. Maybe you just get it where you can. <laughs> I still don't understand what we're As talking about. As opposed to be, being properly famous. I think legally it's important no one understands what we're talking mm. about. <laughs> Oh, no, he was charged. He was charged. Moving on, moving on. It's, uh, it's, it's all, what, supercharged? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Box Cutters is all Pow. about television. You might not know it from the, first, from the opening <laughs> seconds, but it is all about television. And uh, today we're going to talk about a show called Wallander. Or, if you're John, Volander. Uh, actually, I've now completely forget, I forgotten was, what I, the correct pronunciation I, is. I thought it was uh, Matt Svalander's brother. Uh, no, because that Valander. would be that would be Svalander. This is this is the crime show about, about Holly yeah, Valance, his, isn't it? Because his name can't be Matts. No one has Matts as a first name. The no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. He, he, it's got to be Matt Svalander. Okay, surely. What is okay. Wallander anyway? Well, you, anyway, what you Wallander is a, is a, a show that's uh, produced by uh, BBC Scotland, based <laughs> on a Swedish set of. Uh, Detective novels. Curiously, yeah, BBC Scotland making a show with with no uh, Swedes or Scots in it. Yes, but still, we'll talk about that anon. Yeah, so uh, that's coming up. Uh, we've also got uh, a, a discussion we had with Mark Fennell when he was in last, talking about movies that are about television and and how cinema looks at television. That's so, so just scraped in. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he you try to remember, were you? Well, sorry? You're trying to remember what Mark talked about. You're going, what, what did he talk about? No, I was... Who's here? I was trying to I work out... I thought he was out. just teasing. No, Building Mark, the anticip... I'm... My brain... Patient. <laughs> my, my brain was, uh, was just going, t- TV about movies. No, what? No, hey, the other one. The other way around. What? How movies p- portray television. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. That's what he talks about. Telly movies and movie telly. It's we'll a good one. I, I enjoyed doing mm. it. Uh, so it's coming up later. We've also got, if you watch one thing, we've got the quiz. It seems we're completely ignoring the biggest story of the week. I'm ignoring it so much I don't know what it is. What is it? Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is. What are we kicking off with? As always, though, we're going to kick things off with the Box Cutters News. Chick, chick, Boom. I don't want to talk about your internet meme. I'm not interested in internet memes. No, no, no. It's far, far gone beyond the internet. Uh, if you were watching TV at 6.30 on Channel 9 tonight, you will definitely know uh, what I'm talking about in pork. Well, go You'll on. have to wait for it, though. Okay. Oh. So, hang on. It's going to be in pork. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's the biggest story of the week It's not pork. a news item here. <laughs> right. Okay. Hey, uh, remember last week we uh, we talked about uh, community television being angry? Oh, yeah, they were furious. They were angry because they were left out of the budget entirely. It was Channel 31 Fury, so it had bad sound and a lot of headroom. This week... <laughs> 
Actually, you know, ABC Breakfast isn't a million miles away from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking of lots of headroom. They've paid a lot of money to try and copy that look. <laughs> this week, uh, you're never going to guess what happens. What? Community television. Angry. Mm. Yes. Is, is, yes. Is, what is this ire directed at this week? Well, this week they've, uh, they've, they've moved on from uh, Senator Stephen Conroy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's one step beyond you, then, Josh. <laughs> and, and are targeting Kevin Rudd. They they will be appealing to Kevin Rudd to rethink the lack of support of uh, of community television. Really, they're just trying to make a one day story go for two weeks. But this is basically about how the the government's not putting any money forward to help community TV move digital, even though it has helped things like Channel Nine, who one might think would have some money of their own. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, one would think. But uh, honestly, they just... <laughs> like, just... Why don't they just deal with it? I'm glad I said Channel 9, not Channel 10, because I'm not quite convinced Channel 10 would have any money of their own to, to go digital. Uh, no, I don't think they, uh, I don't think they necessarily do. Uh, the, um, no, really, there is nothing else in the story other than... 2031? Uh, they don't want to be left out. Okay. Thanks That's it. So Thanks. basically what they've been saying for the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. This is last week's story, but you've just crossed out Conroy and written in Rudd, isn't it, really, Josh? This is just, just last week's story. Shut up. I'm really glad we kicked off with that one. What have you got, Cropley? Uh There's a proposed spin-off uh, from our favourite horny, what do they call them? Hornbags? Um, from Fountain Lakes. Uh, Kath and Kim with a uh, proposed travel series uh, exploring the world's best hotels while dealing with the current harsh economic climate with Prue and Trude. Now, I, I had the, the two shop assistants uh, down at the mall who are who are very bright and very bright and yes. they've, they've turned up in a lot of a lot of their stuff over the years. Um, the sketches, yeah, no, yeah, Prue and Trude predate. Kath and Kim by quite some some years. They mm-hmm. were, again, I think, out of uh, Big Girls Playhouse. Well, but, so, so were Kath and Kim. Uh, so were Kath and Kim. I didn't realise that. I heard they had a spin-off, but it's actually going to be a... Is it a reality show, then? Is that what it is? Uh, sort of documentary travel. It'll take the we... form of... It'll be mockumentary, I guess. Right. The same scripted. as Kath and Kim mm-hmm. actually is, although they're going to spend less time noticing the cameras in the later seasons. Um, for those that may not have seen it on the ABC, that's how it uh, started out. Uh, filming was uh, slated to begin on Kath and Kim in August, uh, but then uh, Jen Riley decided to star in the Melbourne League of Chicago, uh, so that's all been put off, and uh, there's no actual timeline on uh, the Prue and Trude show coming up. But... Uh, I reckon they'll get it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's hard to imagine anyone saying no at the moment, isn't it, to uh, Gina Riley and, and Jane Turner? Mm. Going, no, we're not interested in no. your new show. Do you, you want to do what? Oh, no. No. Okay. Oh, no, no. No one said it's a tired idea. No one. <laughs> well, well, it's quite interesting because Pro and Trude are kind of like the balances of Kath and Kim. They're, I, I, they're I, at the other end. They are the, mm. the, the brass and uh, four-wheel drive driving mothers. I find it yeah, hard to really see how they'll do a whole series around them. But Although, didn't one of their husbands go to jail and she was doing oh, no, you're, stuff? And you're thinking of Birds, birds of, of a Feather. feather. <laughs> That's Birds of a Feather, that one. Yeah. It started off in jail. <laughs> um, also, new shows coming up. Uh, ABC in the US has announced their 2009 fall lineup. Um, there's nothing, nothing terribly amazing here I wanted to talk about, except for the fact that one of the shows is V. Now, Jane Badler, um, when we had her in, mentioned that there was 
talk about V. We've had rumor of V. Um, there's been yeah, rumor of V, and 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 I, I thought and it hadn't happened, and yet oh, they, no, no, they made it. We still in train. We, no, we said we said it was uh, it got the go ahead, but it was just um, the fact that you can now online there is about a two and a half minute. This is the other thing I thought was interesting with with the the kind of upfronts and the new season. There seemed to be an awful lot of clips on the internet for you to watch of these shows. And I, I don't know if mm-hmm. this has maybe been a tradition for a few years, but it's the first year I've noticed so many of these very long two-and-a-half, three-minute trailers. Well, I suspect out of the US that uh, it is the difference a year with Hulu has made. Um, there, there was a lot of buzz around the place about uh, Glee, where mm-hmm. which uh, all the American uh, viewers were having a look at, and of course we couldn't have a look at it from over here. So you think this is a new thing, um, though? All but, these... but there is there is the ad, the trailer for Glee yeah. uh, on YouTube. So you do think this is a new thing? Then all these trailers kind of being quite so. I think just everybody available. in the states is really aware of of online content mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So there is yeah. There's like a three minute clip of uh, a trailer for V you can watch, which curiously looks exactly the same as the original uh, miniseries. Script-wise, just obviously a little bit more expensive, but then it just looks like an Independence Day. I don't. I find it very bland, very bland-looking, but shiny, shiny mm. but bland. Mm, mm. And the other program I wanted to mention was a Cougar Town, which um, I think from the trailer is the worst program I have seen for quite is some that, time. No, nothing is that like Mill Island? Where they, it is they... very much like Mill Island. <laughs> um, it, it stars uh, uh, the one you've kind of forgotten from Friends. Um, not Jennifer Aniston and uh, not the kooky no, one. Courtney oh, Cox. Uh, D- David Schwimmer. Courtney David Cox. Schwimmer. Oh. David Schwimmer plays a woman who... Uh, no, Courtney Cox plays a, a, a woman who um, she's going to start dating again and stuff. Oh, it's it's hilarious. hilarious. It's the new adventures of old Christine. It's the new adventures of old Christine, but you know, not as funny. Something I had a look at over the weekend. Uh, have you guys seen any of Dirt? Yes. I, I watched the first episode and I, it I've just got a, didn't seem to know what it wanted to be. I've got a theory about Dirt. Yeah. Uh, it's, that right, was right, Courtney Cox uh, start in that. My, my, theory, my theory with Dirt, uh, and this will just be very brief, is that uh, uh, they're very small at one end and then they get large in the middle and then very, very small <laughs> at the end. Uh, that Courtney Cox found this, uh, found this storyline, or this, this uh, script, about a guy with... Schizophrenic photographer. About, about a schizophrenic photographer. Mm-hmm. And it was all about... A schizophrenic photographer, and she saw the script and went, "Oh, that's great! I think there's a role for me in this. I'll play the uh, the the uh, really dirty try to get a try, try to get a story any way I can editor, editor, editor of, of a two magazines. magazine. Yeah. So suddenly yeah. the show is about the editor yes. of a magazine, right? Yes. So that that was my theory, and then one day I saw her on. Conan O'Brien talking about dirt, and she pretty much said exactly that, and uh, and I thought. I can pick him. I should also say ABC 2009 full lineup. You'll be pleased to know that Shark Tank is going ahead. Uh, Shark I, I, Tank? Is that a euphemism? No, no. It's, it's, well, it's a show called Shark Tank. I've deliberately not looked up what it's about. I just like knowing there's a show called Shark Tank. Um, v, I believe, has actually been announced as a mid-season replacement series, which is kind of curious this year. That, that and Maybe, again, they do this every year. I don't know. They announced both the shows coming up and their mid-season <laughs> replacements. And Jimmy Kimmel's been in a little bit of trouble for he talked to a... Um, uh, late night talk show host in America, Jimmy Kimmel, talked at one of the ABC up fronts and said amazingly honest things, which were both hilarious and surprising. Oh. Um, including, he said, most of these shows will fail. 90% of these shows will fail. That's why we're showing you their mid-season replacements <laughs> at the same time as we show them. He also talked a little bit about um, some of the, the strange finances that ABC is doing, but I'll talk about that. Hang on. Is that, is, is that really Jimmy Kimmel talking out of line? Or is that just Jimmy Kimmel... Jimmy Kimmel Chemical. Chemical, doing uh, statistical 
analysis of previous years well, and, and oh, saying yeah, the truth. It was funny because he was being hilarious, but at the same time, it was it was a little bit surprising. You can you can YouTube it, you can see the whole clip, and it's it's a very funny piece, but it's also odd because it's obviously kind of true with him saying he's talking to people who are the upfronts of the people who are going to put up the advertising, but they're not actually advertisers; they're kind of the the advertiser bookers. So he's there going, so go out because it's not your money and give us money for these shows that we all know suck. That's basically what he seems to be saying. Right. Mm. Well, one of the ramifications uh, with V getting the go-ahead is that one of the featured cast members uh, plays Juliet on uh, on um, uh, Lost. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, and so people were, were kind of hoping that V didn't get up because they, they enjoyed the, the Juliet character. Oh, because it would damage Lost. Lost, and, and, right. and, I'm, although, I'm not going to spoil the last episode Lost, of Lost, Lost season has, five. I, I would say, though, that Lost uh, only has uh, like 16 episodes to go. Uh, and V being a mid-season replacement, I wouldn't think that I think they it's would necessarily... or something. So, yeah. yeah, there might be a way of... So, yeah. Apparently, she has had written into a contract for V that uh, she's able to do three Lost episodes, at least. Hey, remember, uh, remember Ricky Gervais' not-so-excellent Simpsons episode? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, pe- people who are still trying to get the taste of that out of their mouths will not be uh, impressed to know that HBO have just signed Gervais and Merchant to do an animated series based on the Ricky Gervais show, The Podcast. Yes. With weird monkey news? <laughs> yes. No. Uh, it will be uh, Gervais and, and Merchant. Basically, so they're just, figuring they've, they've already got the soundtrack down. They just have to. This make is some exactly what's. This it. is exactly what's going to happen. No, they're going to take the podcast, take bits of the podcast. It'll start off with with uh, with Merchant and Gervais talking about something, and then Carl Pil- Pilkington will uh, will start on one of his stories, and then the episode will go into a Carl Pilkington story. So yeah. it will be about Carl Pilkington. But it will be called the Ricky Gervais Show. I am unfamiliar with this thing of which you humans speak. What, what okay, was well, the a Ricky podcast Gervais? is something that yeah, people can go yeah. onto the internet, like like on the wireless. Is like that how it works? Like no, on no, the wireless, no, they're um, often audio only. Sometimes video as well, right? Like so, ours. Yeah. But what was the what was what was the Ricky Gervais one? What <laughs> Ricky the... Gervais. It was Ricky Gervais, Steve Merchant, and their radio producer Carl Pilkington, basically in a studio talking crap for about half an hour. So it really was just a podcast. It, it was, wasn't. It wasn't a drama, a no. comedy, and Carl Pilkington. Just coming over, just as really, really dim and and being made a mockery of, right. and, and it, hmm. to, to the point where uh, like it, was it was quite actually, fun. But then after a while, it was just hard to listen to because then, they were being so nasty to Carl Pilkington, and it was not ever clear if he was aware of how nasty they were being. And do we know how long the uh, show's going to be? How many minutes? 13, Thirteen episodes of of I'm guessing of half, half hours. Right. Um, and and the thing about the podcast was that uh, once they figured that they wanted to make some money out of it, they'd, they'd apparently taken some world record for most subscribed podcast at that point. Yes. Um, and then we're going to make it a, a fee podcast. And they, nobody went with them. Yeah, they, they ended up charging a pound for a, a subsequent series of podcasts that they did and got maybe you know, 3% of, of their previous listenership, which is still, you know, a few thousand pounds, mm-hmm. but uh, but nowhere near the millions that they were anticipating. I think we should all pretend that the uh, Christmas special from the end of Extras, which was, I think, astonishingly good, um, is, David is, Bowie is where... Sad Little Man. Uh, no, no, no. The Christmas special is the one at the end where, um, where uh, 
oh, I've just forgotten his character's name, but he's actually become quite famous um, from the sitcom, and and he goes in the Big Brother house, and you have a laugh. Has an astonishingly good scene in the Big Brother house, and I'd like to think that's yeah. that's where he stopped. Yeah, until your face does something else, I'm going to bother with. I'm going to imagine he stopped after that. Well, it was so good. I suspect the problem with the, that Simpsons episode was that uh, Stephen Merchant wasn't involved. I suspect the the problem with that Simpsons episode is that they gave him free reign and didn't actually think that anything other than his name would be necessary to make an entertaining episode and how wrong they were. Anyway, you can expect the Ricky Gervais show to uh, be on HBO by the end of this year. Yes, well, uh, he might uh, not know everything that he's talking about with uh, making good TV, but somebody that does is Harold Mitchell. Who's a, uh, a? Oh, he's got a new title this time. He's the one that um, played, played the saxophone, he, wasn't that, on yes, Neighbours? No, 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 no. Harold Mitchell played that. the sax. No, no, no. You're, to you're, you're thinking of Kirk Pengilly. Oh yeah. Uh, no, no. Harold Mitchell. Uh, he's now a media commentating guru. Wanker. Media guru. That's all you need to know. <laughs> now, I, to, I still, uh, I still that, prefer commentating the Sunday wanker. Harold Sun. Um, Harold Mitchell says that uh, the footy show is messed with a winning formula, uh, and that is why their Melbourne viewing audience is well down in the doldrums. Um, so far this year, most weeks have been well below 400,000 viewers, and uh, last week, the worst week, got down to 262,000-odd. Um, he is saying that they really need to bring back uh, Eddie Maguire to host the footy show, uh, basically it, it went down below 400,000 when Trevor Marmalade uh, wasn't on and uh, he thinks that uh, Eddie will arrest the ratings slide. It, Apparently it there's, there's also a lot of uh, infighting amongst the, uh, the the panel members on the show, uh, which is causing some issues. But didn't you just say it went down when Trevor Marmalade left, so we need to get Eddie Maguire? I mean, yeah, yeah. Does, doesn't, doesn't, yeah but doesn't the logical extension of that mean we should get Trevor Marmalade? No. You don't understand. No, I don't understand television, obviously. <laughs> well, you said the problem there, from what I hear from sources, was that Trev leaving the footy show was all about money. He wanted more. Um, Channel 9 are already paying Eddie Maguire, so it wouldn't actually cost them anything more. Okay, so basically Eddie can go on everything now. He can do their 24-hour rolling news service they're introducing. Yeah, yeah. Well, or, you know, will be Australian, as of next week. Australian TV would, uh, would seem normal once again. <laughs> Speaking of money, um, we've talked about Chuck quite a bit. We uh, have. A show which I still have never watched, but boy, have I talked about it a lot. Now, um, Chuck was the NBC comedy. It was going to be cancelled, then it wasn't cancelled. There was a, an attempt to... Oh, there's more, though. There's more that's come out this week. Oh, yeah. There was the uh, the attempt to save it through buying Subway sandwiches as a, a very odd protest. Longs and Now, it turns Subway. out... It's going ahead for a third series at NBC, but in a, in a slightly alarming article from the New York Times, it's effectively being paid for entirely by Subway. It's, it's now the sponsorship from Subway is effectively driving the whole show in a weird 1950s style, I Love Lucy-esque kind of promotional deal to a degree where they're actually going to be um, making one of the characters work at Subway. Uh, Chuck's girlfriend, Sarah, is a CIA agent who works undercover at various stands in the food court, and the words come through that she'll probably be working at Subway. Oh, really? As of, uh-huh. as of next year. Food so, court? Well, that's according well, to... It, was, yeah, it, it must have been a while since I've seen it, it because she, no. was, she was in a, a fast food outlet, standalone store, um, which had wieners for sale. No, that was... First the first series, it was uh, it was wieners. The second was it series, it was... Uh, 
no, no, you're just thinking of filthy euphemisms. No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> s- s- second series, it was uh, frozen yogurt. So, yeah, so apparently she'll probably be working at Subway, and Subway now is effectively paying for the show. And it's, it's um, Well, that's fine. Well, it's fine. It's a bit interesting because it's a move. Everyone's saying the interesting thing is how upfront both NBC and Subway and everyone else is being about this, going, mm-hmm. yep, it's money. We're just doing it now. Mm-hmm. And also uh, TV in context, as mentioned in the same article from, uh, from New York Times, is uh, a Turner Entertainment, T- Turner Entertainment Network plan, which basically um, allows f- scripted series to... You know, put things into so it's you know what they've been making the jokes about on Thirty Rock effectively for the last year or so. Except except that uh, on Thirty Rock, they actually did get money for those. They things. did, they did, and for the McFlurry. Yeah, and now everyone's basically doing it. So Slack kind of, it? Did they? Was that? Uh, yeah, that, that, that episode I think was a whole bunch of stuff that was available in the, in the NBC store. Because oh. so, there are they're, they're wearing some some t shirts. There was the. Uh, 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 I think uh, one person comes in wearing a Battlestar Galactica T-shirt. Yes, yeah, yeah there are all things. What the frack? Yeah, mm-hmm. there are all things that were available in the NBC store. So this is the thing. I don't know whether it's good or bad, but they talk about the fact that it's now very upfront and very 1950s style. If you ever look at those things like you know, uh, I Love Lucy, Twilight Zone, there's well, basically a lot of product. The, the Lux Soap Theater, Lux Soap Theater, and that yeah. thing where you know, yeah. the name of the product gets into the actual show title, and you're yes. kind of wondering yes. are and where we, we get soaps from. Soapies. Exactly. Are we returning to that? I do not know. I, you know what? I don't. I don't actually have a problem with it mm-hmm. because uh, if they're being upfront about it, if they're saying Subway are paying a lot of money for this, and we're not hiding the fact that Subway is paying for your entertainment, and that's maybe, a, that's maybe a it's way less that, annoying, I guess, than, than the product placement. As long as hidden. as long as Subway don't have. Uh, any say in storyline, but yeah. presumably they would have to have say in the storyline if you're getting to that degree. Certainly, they in the fifties, those companies did. Yes, and that's why it was bad then. Yeah, uh, and but it'll be much, much better now. Well, what I'm saying is, it, it won't be unless oh, advertisers uh, still do. Mm-hmm. Networks won't do anything risky out of fear of uh, offending some of their advertisers. Mm-hmm. And then back on Jimmy Kimmel, just briefly again, talking again at the same ABC Upfronts, he said, next year on Grey's Anatomy, your product could kill Dr. Izzy. It just depends on how much you want to pay. Oh, oh nice. That'll get her an Emmy. Um, and also that uh, some of the lobbying from the fans of uh, Chuck was done through the subway outlets. They're also, uh, they're talking about a much reduced budget and so less time in the uh, the, the store. That was actually also Samantha, the, the nerd herd. Samantha um, so, Who. So we won't um, be seeing so many of them. Samantha Who, surprisingly, was still on air until quite recently. I had no idea. But apparently Samantha Who could have come back if they could have uh, slashed their budget enough. But they didn't. So yeah. apparently also in the US at the moment, what lots of shows that on? nearly coming back, but not being able to quite yeah, reduce the costs. The, what were they spending the budget on? Yeah. Cecilia O'Hearn's tiny, tiny outfits. Uh, you'd think the smaller they got, the cheaper they would be. No, handcrafted then. You have to then. use yeah, yeah. Uh, less... Miniatures. Less. It's very hard. Uh, in programming news for Channel 9 here in Australia, it's uh, been reported that they have purchased the rights for a dating show called Loveland. A dating show with a 21st century twist. Oh, I hate the word. Oh. You're going to say, with a twist. You just don't win this with a twist. It's going to be something really crap. Go on, go on, Cropley. What is the amazing twist? It's a studio based format, and the contestants use virtual real time animation to create an alter ego. Then they go on <laughs> dates with each of, the, each of their computer generated animated characters, and uh, the, contest- <laughs> the contestant picks the character that they would like to meet uh, in person uh, for a real. I'm, I'm, I'm so basically, basically, you're going to have four David Tenchers going out on, on fake dates. 
Is it, is right, it like that? Or is it girly David or is Tenches it, as well? Is it shitter and more like Second Life? Yeah, good well based shitter. I'm saying three episodes to air. Anyone want to unmute me? I will go two. Okay. I'll go too. Because so they won't have the budget for three. Yeah, if Love Land shows up, we'll see how many really? we get. I, I, I reckon they'll shoot half the season uh, before it goes to where. What was what was the uh, Channel 10 dating thing that they had Taken on? Out. Taken Out. Taken Out, yes. Yeah, which they, <laughs> yeah. they then burnt after Letterman uh, uh, for a few months. If I, if I was going to go on that and then create my own character, <laughs> I, I, I would call that character Linda Loveland. And uh, and just have her do have seen things. I'd be <laughs> I'd be the animated penguin just because I think that'd be oh. cute. Oh. So so do you think you could actually in the animation? I'd, Brett, <laughs> the Fox, Fox Networks group chairman and CEO Tony Vinciquera is angry at ratings giant Nielsen. Why is he angry? Because Nielsen have announced that uh, they're quite aware now. That their ratings <laughs> they are, are made up. <laughs> well, are out by as much as eight percent. That's quite a bit. Yes, that is quite a bit, and uh, and particularly considering that uh, the uh, American Idol ratings have dropped a little bit in the last season. Cool. Uh, it could it could well be because of this eight percent, which is which is all about a certain demographic not being entirely accurate with how many people are in the room at one time watching the show. Are they saying there's not enough people meters in the Bible Belt, and, which was why the the other guy, the non-gay guy, actually got up and won the competition in the end? Uh, some are saying? Uh, no. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> it's all people meters in the Bible Belt. Did you, did you hear what I just said? Not uh, enough in the Bible Belt. Mum and dad are fighting again. Because what I said... Was so that, what they should do over in the States is, is the networks can just all get together and uh, make their own counting company. Oh, Josh is... Wouldn't he, that work better? He's, just, he's gone. If you're watching on the video podcast... Works perfectly here in Australia. Josh is just out of Michelle shocked. It'd be us, Tam. Finally. Us, Tam. You know, if you're not going to listen to the actual news story and you're just going to make shit up... You can, you can work for Nielsen. Because the, the, the problem is that there is a certain demographic... Mm-hmm. And they're pretty much not saying young people, but they want to say young people uh, who aren't using their people meters properly and aren't saying exactly how many people are in the room at one time watching the show. man. I can't press the buttons. John, finish this. Finally, cinema is officially dead. It was announced this year that there will be a cinema adaptation of American Gladiators coming. Yes, that's Gladiators, the uh, muscle people hitting each other with enormous Q-tips program. It's going to be huger. It will be huger um, the, the show has aired in more than 90 countries. Uh, bloody, 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 blah. The goal is to create an action story that takes place inside the world of Gladiators. A compelling story that launches a whole new set of characters. So there we go. No reason to go to the cinema ever again. And that is the Box Cutters News. Hi, this is Scott Brennan, and I'm bang up for a bit of digital reception on Box Cutters. I've had my box well and truly cut. Wallander is a show that stars Kenneth Branagh. It's made by BBC Scotland and based on a Swedish set of detective novels. And if that's not confusing enough, you should try to follow some of the plots. The uh, the, the the idea about Wallander is it, it is... It's a detective series set in a Swedish town far in the south of Sweden called Ustat. And, uh, and it, it's a tiny little town. I actually had to look it up on, uh, on, on Google Maps just to see what sort of town are we talking about here. Uh, and it is, it is really, really small. 
It, it's more like a more like a university campus right. than uh, than a town. And uh, and the interesting thing that that I find with uh, with the way that they've made uh, this show is that they haven't actually just taken the storyline and moved it into a Scottish setting or a or a UK setting. They've uh, actually set it in, in Sweden a yeah. in a start and filmed it. In a start, but but blissfully, no one does Swedish accents, and I can't. I, it's like, I need to stress, very English. I need to stress how much of a relief this was. I personally hate um, English people doing foreign accents because I would rather watch something in a foreign language with subtitles. And it's a big thing on Australian mm. theatre. I can't stand watching Australian actors doing American voices in New York. Just tell me you're in New York. You don't need to do the American accents. Just tell me. Right. And one of the show, things associated with that though was mm. that. Uh, on the on the screen, so so away from anything audio, um, that that anything written was in, in Swedish. Swedish. Yeah, so, yeah, the, because so the point is the show takes so so the show takes place one well, takes place in Sweden in Istad, but everyone has English accents. Um, I like to 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 represent different sort of social you know economic kind of types. There are the use of different types of English accent within the show to kind of indicate, but they all are Swedish. We're just told. These people are all Swedish. It's just that you know we're using our telepathy it's, to it, hear them. It's like in English. it's like watching Babelfish. yeah, Babelfish. it's yeah. like yeah. watching a Swedish yeah. show with Babelfish, mm. and and that's that's exactly what I've always wanted because otherwise you end up with horrible things like in the Hunt for Red October, uh, James Bond <laughs> trying to speak Scottish. with a Russian accent, Russian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you know it's it's just it just doesn't work. This is great. So some people do accents, some people don't do accents. Here, no one does an accent, but everything else is entirely Swedish. Everyone. Drives a Volvo, and uh, you see some TV guides at one point um, in which yeah, apparently Battlestar Galactica playing on Swedish television. That was interesting. Um, red and uh, yellow and blue flags and streamers. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and um, it's look, it's a really intriguing thing. And we, we have a, an audio clip. Can we can we show sure. that? So sure. uh, just uh, further on the uh, uh, further on the Swedish thing because uh, I can't uh, get enough of it. When the when the show starts, you actually don't know that it's in Sweden. There's no uh, unnecessary super that comes up and says Sweden. Mm. It's not in three. Although, although it starts off in, in, a, in a in a rape field in a yellow kind of you know a field of, and it is the weirdest looking place. And it's kind of AKA obviously canola field. Canola yeah. field. It's not England though. It's so obviously not England at the beginning. And and because they they take some time to tell you, you see it's- houses that are obviously not English, and you see. And there's also reference to how the um, the prime minister has been assassinated, has been assassinated which makes you go, "Is it a weird science fiction thing, or is it?" But it's yeah, and then eventually you go, "Oh, they're Swedish. They're all just Swedish." And, and, it's, and it's just not worth mentioning because if they were in Sweden, they just wouldn't mention it at all. And go, "Hey, how I, you doing? I'm pretty Swedish." Yeah, you wouldn't do that. That's weird. I love that. Anyway, here's a here's a scene. Uh, Kenneth Branagh playing the detective Wallander, uh, sitting in a conference where they're discussing the murderer that uh, that is part of this episode with a, uh, a profiler who has just come in. Presumably you've contacted Native American societies and the like. Nothing relevant, although there are some facets of the culture I define quite What intriguing. about the killer? First impressions, what can you give us? Two killings is not usually sufficient to establish anything like a definitive profile. How many do you need? I'm sure if we wait long enough. Two things occur immediately. One... The killings were clearly premeditated. They follow almost identical patterns. Executions, almost. Two, the Native American motif. People who find themselves in a psychic borderland often try to hide behind another person's identity or transform themselves into a mythological figure. Psychic 
borderland. Your killer appears to have crossed a psychological boundary. Virtually anyone can commit murder or manslaughter without premeditation. On the surface, he can live a completely normal life. He has two identities that he controls utterly. Fine. So, now we know that we're looking for someone who seems completely normal on the surface. Very helpful. Uh, one of the things that, that clip shows up very well is there's a certain stillness and quietness to this, which I... I I mean, look, I've got to say, I've, rave, rave, rave. I thought it was amazing. Everything about this, I really enjoyed. I've only seen one episode. You boys have managed to, to, to go ahead. There's, there's only three mm. episodes. Give you a bit more mm. uh, background. They're telemovies, so they're effectively 90 minutes long each, and they're in the style of... There's only three in the series, so it's kind of a bit of an Inspector Morse, um, Inspector Montalbano kind of thing where it's... Friday Night Mystery Murder. They're hoping to do ongoing runs. The, the original Swedish, they're based on a series of Swedish novels. I think there was uh, 10 or 13 novels or something from mm-hmm. the 90s. Um, which are hugely popular in Sweden. They've made three sets of Volanda with two different actors um, in, in Sweden. They're still making them now. They kind of keep sporadically making them over the years. So he's a very big... Apparently, they're filming the second set of BBC ones at the same time as they're also filming the Swedish ones. So apparently there are camera crews are running around a stad, all kind of <laughs> chasing each other, trying not to use the same locations because it's a very small place. It, 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 is, it is a tiny, tiny place with, um, with seemingly a lot of crime. Uh, and, and one of the things I liked about it in the telling is uh, is everyone is quite surprised when a crime does well, happen in a stud. Because it could be a sort of Midsummer Murders thing, couldn't it? Where it's like, you know, they're popping off. But the funny thing about this, and, and I did read this show was started because Inspector Morse came to an end and the BBC was looking for a kind of Inspector Morse type thing they could keep doing and um, and came across the Wallanders. So did, uh, did um, um, what's his face? I Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh intentionally put on all that weight? Oh, well, the, character, was, the character is dumpy. The character is meant to be a yeah. Was, no, no, it, is, it I think was, it was I think very disconcerting to see him with with uh, like jolly and grey no, really? and stubbly. I, th- I, thought, and, I actually thought he was just acting. Like I, 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 I thought he was kind of hot. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought he looked better. Like that. but um, Emma Thompson had, would never go through him in his current state. It was, state, it was deliberate. That apparently that is that is one of the the Wallanders, you know characteristics is that he's a little bit of a slobby kind of guy. He's a bigger kind of guy. Um, Kenneth Branagh, you know, has has been has been accused of has been horrendously stagey in some of his performances. I loved him in this. He, he was, was really he was he so played restrained, it really, yes. and and the whole show is so restrained. It's got this kind of yeah, you know, clinical almost sort of purity to it. You, 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 you not so no? you guys used to watching your Friday night murder mystery type. Uh, I've seen quite a lot things. of lot of your, Do you your, enjoy them. You Inspector Morse no. and your Midsummer Murders. I, I no. kind of enjoy the Midsummer Murders because they're quite campy. You know, I kind of enjoy the 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 fun of it. Whereas this, I found this just the 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 purity of I've got to say cinematography, the sound, and the music, all of which won awards at the Baftas, which yeah. is partly what was. Yeah, I, 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 I have to say, fun. I have to say though, cinematography. The first episode is great. I haven't watched the third episode. The second episode is almost entirely what's that called? Tilt, tilt shift. Tilt shift photography. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Where it makes and, everything look like it's models, and it's just ridiculous. Every single scene. <laughs> so and that that's funny because one of the things I really love about the first one and the cinematography is astonishing. And that one beautiful. opens up with like the train going through the town, doesn't it? 
Oh, possibly. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. if you're doing tilt shift, you have to put trains in at some legal <laughs> yeah. requirement. But I really thought the first episode, I went, oh, thank God they're not doing the usual BBC crap. Of, there's, there's no tilt shift <laughs> photography. There's no jump cuts. There's no pop music playing really loudly. There's no helicopters, you know, floating around Cardiff. Thank God they've actually managed to make something that looks like it's made for adults for a change. Because I do find, you know, the English have lost the ability. And this was so old school in that way. It felt almost like a sort of 70s kind of thing that... The acting, I think, is astonishing. We were, we were looking for a clip to play earlier, and it's funny because it makes the world's most um, minimalist radio dramas when you're listening through, and yet still, I thought, astonishing. And I just, yeah, the acting, the cinematography, uh, the cinematographer on the first one, we, where we think is Anthony Dodd uh, Mantle, I think it is, who uh, has done a lot of dogma films, curiously enough, like mm-hmm. Festin. Yeah, the, and, the uh, excellent Festin. Julian Donkey Boy and a bunch of, uh, and the uh, Dogville. So it's going to be interesting that, that, he used the natural light in what looks like a million-dollar setup, but apparently I think was shot quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got all these very quiet people in this very pristine, cold, sort of clear settings. As a police 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 procedural, if you're a fan of those, I think you'll be disappointed because the police aren't very good. At least in that first no. one, basically people just keep dying, and and it's not. It, it reminded me a lot of Noise, the Australian film, which I love. That it's mm-hmm. not about the policing; it's about the people who who do the policing. And particularly this interesting thing where Wallander is. He's got this really incredible emotional reaction to... The, the, the first episode starts off... You know, spoiler for the first 20 seconds. Sorry about this. But um, a, a girl basically sets herself on fire in front of Wallander. That's a pre credit sequence, which you will remember. And um, he is so yeah. distraught as to why she would do this. And yet... He, he shows very little interest in his own family. Yeah, so it's kind of yes. he's got much more of an emotional reaction but to this of, woman he's never off met. The, off the back of that, so she she sets herself on fire, commits suicide in front of him, and then uh, the first uh, uh, obvious victim turns up, and uh, he, he gets most of them onto that case. But uh, there's there's the young one guy who's left to uh, find out who the, the young girl was who committed suicide She's, and he, he goes but I want to I want to investigate the crime and uh, Wallander says a 15 year old girl committed suicide that's a crime well, I, overwrought crime. stuff no. like that well just, no but I think because no. I mean, the whole show to me wasn't overwrought really, See, I, really I, lost I, me. I have I was, to say I have to say as far as the storyline goes, as far as I mean, I think I think Wallander's a, a, a pretty good character, but he's nothing different to, to anything we've seen uh, in the past. I mean, it, it reminded me a lot of Cracker, and I think Cracker did the the uh, flawed lead a, is, a lot better. He is so quiet, though, that I really liked. He's such an internal character, and much more than Cracker or, and, or and the, the others. The things that I do like about it are the silences, the fact that they're, they're not scared of going for uh, for a long time just looking at things and, and not actually saying anything. Uh, there are there are scenes where if he's in a room by himself, he's in a room by himself. He's not talking to anyone because there's no one to talk to. Whereas in American films or even... Be working stuff over in his head and talking to himself. E- yeah, even yeah, in, yeah. in Midsummer Murders, that's, that's the sort of thing exposition. that they would do. But as far as the uh, the through lines go and the, and the connections that are made uh, in, in the way that the story is told, I kind of think, eh... You know that's that's not grabbing me. What's really? grabbing me is is the cinematography, is the acting, and uh, people who know me will will know that uh, I've never ever in my life said that Kenneth Branagh is a good actor. I'm, so, I'm, and, not, I'm not a fan either. And I, he I, is excellent. I loved in this. him in this. In the whole cast, no one, no one's plot's a really even cast. I, I do think that the storytelling could uh, 
could benefit from uh, from a, a little bit of editing. But I, I mean, because yeah, I think, again, I'm talking about the first episode, but I love the fact that too, it's all about fathers and and children, and and that's entirely throughout it, which is fantastic. That it's they've gone. No, this is what it's about. This is the theme. This is what's all the way through. Yeah, the policing, the actual crime solving, <laughs> they're not that great. But in many ways, I thought that's probably what what real ones are like. You know, real police probably just have to wait for things to show up before they can actually do anything with it. You know, they're not leaping out Columbo style to go, ha-ha, we've worked it all out. Like, it just sort of unfolds. And, th- and that is that is a problem with the second episode because the the uh, second one, he does take a, a much more active stance and uh, and it just, uh, it just doesn't work because we're used to him just kind of dealing with his own life uh, or not dealing with his own life and, and being the guy who avoids everything. Well, we should also mention the first episode has David Warner in it, um, playing his dad. Now, that is <gasps> that is a scene-chewing oh. exercise, but I love David Warner and can watch him in anything. You'll probably remember it's... him best as the villain in Time Bandits, Nibbles on Men. But um, he Evil. The... He, I think his name was Evil. <laughs> he plays the dad in this, and I just, yeah, I don't know. A, he gets the one scene at the end where you go, yeah, give him the award. You know, I, I think I think he was fantastic. Mm. I, 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 he was really fa- I don't think it was, uh, was scenery-chewing at, at all. I thought it was uh, downplayed, you know, when when I think of scenery chewing, I think of, uh, of Kenneth Branagh and everything. Yes, else he's been in. I, th- I, I think of Kenneth Branagh and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I know. I've, look, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised looking at your your yes your uncommitted face there, lovely properly because I I did love this. I just was I was amazed how much and and again, cinematography didn't take me a long way. I was just going every shot is gorgeous. I was having such a great time. But maybe maybe I I was coming at it from the wrong headspace. Maybe if I didn't feel like I needed to get through it quickly, then I wouldn't have found them interminable and wouldn't have had to have turned off the third one halfway through. So you found them slow. I mean, really, really, really dead slow. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. see that, but that's that's but the, like if that's if, a if good you're looking thing. at it from that's a, the, from the art form of the cinematography uh, and all that was, sort of stuff, and, I felt, and you can just relax with it, and you don't have anything to go off and do. Well, because uh, I think interesting when we were talking about cinema, that it was this weird thing of of we've, we've talked before about how basically television is currently as an art form better than cinema. I think that's a fact. And this one was interesting because this is all quality enough to be a cinema film, especially you know, the, the sound music mm, and cinematography, mm. which are and, and awards and the BAFTAs like for all those. Climate and stuff actually reminds me of something I saw at MIF a couple of years ago, which was set in uh, the southernmost town in Argentina, mm-hmm. uh, which, was, which was so much about the vistas and, and, yeah, and, and, and again, very quiet. And, and, and very cinematic. And yet, I thought, if you'd watched it in cinema, you wouldn't have had the same effect as I wouldn't watching it in my home. So you're sitting in your lounge room and you're watching this thing, which is about fathers and sons and about you know uh, relationships in families, and that's a very domestic subject, surrounded by you know the packaging of a police drama. And I found that had so much more power because I'm sitting there, you know, re- in my own home. I'm reminded of of the domestic kind of element of this stuff and watching these people unpack their family relationships. And I, yeah, I just thought it was like a best of both worlds to have the cinematographer who's worked on feature films, you know, the feature film actor, all these people who can bring that sort of cinema sensibility, but deliberately honing it around a kind of much more domestic mm. idea. And they- also I probably should point out that uh, generally I'm not a fan of uh, your morses, your crackers, or any of those Friday nights. Well, it's because I, I'm, I'm not uh, the only one... English productions. Yeah, the only one I think I have watched regularly uh, by accident is more... Uh, is, um, Midsummer Murders, because it seems to be on every 25 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also, like, I'm not into the US 
police procedurals either and and that's that's what that line kind of reminds me of munch every single week being so so disgusted at what mankind can do to each other you know he's got to he's got to lose his sensitivity after a few weeks but every single week yeah but except he witnessed it which i i think Ordinarily, cops just come in at the end of it, and he witnessed that one. Well, so, also, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to Fair forgive enough. that. Also, yeah. in that first one, he feels he triggered it, is the other yes. thing, too. He feels that she set herself on fire because of him, and he's trying to work out for the whole show Which, what has ad- happened. Admittedly, if I saw Kenneth Branagh running at me, I'd, uh, yeah. I'd want to do something drastic as well. Another thing I, I, I like about it, and I think this will probably be the last thing that we say, uh, they do get around the, the whole notion of how do we shoot how do we shoot everything day night and get it get it all in sequence that the night shots are actually uh supposed to be at night because it's in Sweden and uh and, could have and, the, and done it midsummer so, the, well, so it's all, the sun's yeah. never quite the, down. Se- never. the second episode is actually during the summer solstice oh great so uh so it everything is in daylight oh, actually there was one more thing so i wanted to say because i just just saw my note here and got reminded that weird thing it reminded me of was um william gibson's pattern recognition have you guys read yeah yeah, yeah. Read I, I love pattern recognition pattern recognition's just in this weird way that pattern recognition written by william gibson he's a really well-known you know science fiction author he kind of invented cyberpunk sort of um, that mm. thing where you're halfway through pattern recognition, you suddenly realize it's not a science fiction novel. Like it's it's we actually live in science fiction times in which you know all the devices, all the techniques, everything the, sh- the book's about, it's all real stuff. It's just that you know it feels like science fiction. That's because Arthur C. Clarke invented everything. Yeah, it's all been invented now by Arthur C. Clarke. But um, but Wallander had the same thing at the beginning. It felt weirdly like one of those seventies dystopian science fiction things. There's a shot where he's driving down the street and there's two people like beating up another person. Do you remember this? It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like That's, Carway. Wallander doesn't stop. He just kind of looks over and goes, oh, yeah, they're bidding up some people. <laughs> I, I had no idea what the show was about, and I started watching it and going, oh, it's a dystopian future. And it feels like a dystopian future, but no, it's Sweden. <laughs> so it's kind of just fascinating to It's just that the wind this. blows across the tundra 24 hours a day. <laughs> just, yeah. just this otherworldness of it is really fascinating. So it's a real world, but it's, it's different to ours, and it's a really fascinating place to visit. That's uh, that's Wallander. You, uh, you can uh, buy it uh, through Amazon and... Uh, uh, it's uh, it's I, I think it's it's definitely worth watching personally. Hi everyone, it's Nelly Thomas here. You're listening to Box Cutters. It's about cutting box. Um, not something that you'd normally say in polite company, but uh, in a podcast you get away with it. Tune in. What is it about our guests and their <laughs> double know. entendres? I know. Uh, Mark Fennell came into the studios a, a, a few weeks ago to talk about the way television is portrayed in movies. We actually recorded him talking about that. Oh, it's like time travel. It is like time travel. <laughs> so uh, why, why don't we listen to, to uh, what he has to say? I hope he knows that we were recording it, that it wasn't just a chat. Yes, it's, let's talk about uh, TV on film. Because there's... Uh, all right, there's there's some big ones that, that come to mind. There's network, yes. obviously. Uh, mad as hell and I'm not taking it anymore. There's Sorry, I have this bad habit. Every time somebody brings up a title, I have to quote a line from yeah, it. That's it's okay. weird. That's annoying. Yeah, really annoying. Soap dish. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got one. Uh, two words. I like cheap and perky. I like cheap and perky. <laughs> what was I, I was doing one today and I can't remember what it was. Well, there's the story with my punchline. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Tootsie. Uh, they, these are all big films mm. that, uh, that have featured television heavily. One of them. Two of them. Oscar winners. Mm. TV gets pretty rough ride in film, I think, personally. I think, uh, I think more often than not, you see TV being depicted as, a, as an ego-driven industry uh, that homogenizes life and destroys people, which is unlike totally... Cinema, obviously. Unlike cinema, Which is hilarious, because anybody will tell you in recent years, the quality of top-end television shits all over the quality of most movies that come out, and I just think cinema's a bit of 
I yeah, have, I, I said but, it. But but they weren't bitter in the 1970s, and it was still fine. It was poke still holes in my <laughs> my spurious argument. Fine then. I mean, but that's that's the thing. It's always been seen as this as this evil. And yes, th- there is a history of cinema being afeared of television. They've always thought, well, we need to we because people are getting entertainment in their homes, so we'll make our screens bigger. We'll have 3D. We'll have this. We'll have Dolby surround sound. We'll have all of these other things. Uh, why not just make better movies? <laughs> I've been asking that question for years. It's uh, my letters just to, to Sherry Lansing. Nobody ever reads them. Uh, you see, what's kind of interesting is that even movies where TV is kind of on the periphery, like uh, Magnolia, no one ever thinks TV when they see Magnolia, but all of those characters in that movie, uh, so you've got the Philip Seymour Hoffman character and the Tom Cruise character and the Julia Mell, they're all actually linked by TV. One of them's a producer or one of them sleeping with a producer on TV. One of them was a kid who, the William H. Macy character was a kid on the, on the game show. Even in that world, TV is kind of tinged with this darkness. Like it destroys William H Macy's life. It, uh, it's it's something that kind of turns everyone to an empty husk. And I've never quite understood that. And I think it actually speaks to something broader than what you know cinema thinks of TV. It's perhaps uh, something cultural about how we think of TV. Is you know that idea where lots of people sit on a couch and 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 look at this this box that has flickering images and it it kind of saps life out of people which is unfair because tv when it is good you know brings people together it 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 it's, has this wonderful kind of global cathartic effect you know i mean you have to look at big big events like the the olympics and whatnot which always bring together people in a way that no other medium really can i can't see people kind of cowering over a youtube video doing the same thing because it doesn't have that same uh app- that that same simultaneous effect, uh, although you know, as we've as I've covered before on this show, I think TV is dying and YouTube will take <laughs> up. No I'm kidding. Um, and other films you've got like Pleasantville, which is like one of my favorite favorite movies of all time. But even then, TV has this effect to, 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 to set up the story because I'm supposed to do that. Uh, Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire, who are these kind of 90s, uh, kind of uh, 90s cliche kids, somehow using the magic of Ray Walston and a black and white TV, go back in time to this, uh, the world of 1950s America as depicted on television where nobody can have sex and there's no colour. And that world is actually depicted as being something really restrictive and 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 and... Um, kind of faux sweet that hides something dark underneath. And it's, it's an interesting idea that TV has always held that. Maybe TV holds that in our, in our collective consciousness, maybe. Hmm. Questions? The, the, only, there. Uh, the, the only film I can think of off the top of my head that shows television with some kind of reverence, even then, only shows it that that it is only being revered by someone who has some kind of mental illness. Yeah. Like Nurse Betty <laughs> Nurse is Betty. is what I'm thinking of. Or even like maybe maybe Truman Show. I think Truman Show is a really positive even though, film. Oh, about, see, no, I would yeah, have thought that was. It, it's a bit of both for me because I think as much as it is a negative show about that guy Truman, it's filled with this sense of wonder at the power of what TV can do at the same time. It's kind of, it splits both ways for me. It still sort of says evil, because when we were talking about, you know, going on to talk about this, there seem to be these two prongs of, of how TV is represented. One is, it, it is an evil force that will kill us all, mm. um, which runs from the more straightforward, like Network and, and, and Magnolia, through to, you know, things like Videodrome, like the idea in David Cronenberg's Videodrome, yeah. that it will actually physically turn you into a monster, you know, just by watching it. Um, and the other side was just that things like Soap Dish, where it's completely frivolous and, yeah. and disposable and, and it, it represents the shallowness of people wanting to be on TV. 
Radio though doesn't get that no. that at all, does it? Radio is always shown as being a, a, a nostalgic, uh, yeah. Any, uh, anyone truth who's and... anyone who's seen uh, the boat that rocked, which is this movie about uh, the uh, pi- pirate, pirate radio, which was what they in, in the sixties in the UK. If you... When pirates used to run radio, are like triple R. R. <laughs> I'm sure there's an idea on triple R that does that, right? Tell me there is. Yeah. Um, Boat that rocked is interesting because uh, it's a story of back in the 60s in the UK, the BBC would have kind of broadcast like 25 minutes of pop music a day. And if you wanted to hear rock and pop, you had to be listening to Radio Caroline, which was one of the, the, the pirate radios, which was these kind of ships that were moored off the North Sea and used to broadcast pop music. And I sat down there watching this movie, which has Bill Nye, who's great, and, and Philip Samuel Hoffman, who's great. And, and you're sitting there going, wow. This radio business it seems like fun. <laughs> I, I want to do. I want a career in that world because it's so not. So why do you think radio ends up with such a, a you know, good press as opposed to telly? There is, generally speaking, something a little bit more human and a little bit less mediated about radio. You know, it's you. The it's as a general rule, it's a lot easier to make good radio than it is to make good TV. Generally speaking, but there's. Cinema seems to love cinema loves characters, right? And radio is actually really about one person talking to you, and that I think that cinema as a, as a I'm talking in such broad terms, his cinema that person cinema loves this idea uh, of, of a person connecting to you via technology. I think TV is regarded as just being too mediated and and uh, too too many egos, and I think something about having your face on a camera instantly turns you into a monster. I know it does to me. Because I, I recently watched the dead, uh, not dead set, uh, TV set. Ah, uh, the, the Laura- David, David Duchovny. Which didn't, didn't get a cinema release here or anything. No. I think it went straight to DVD and it was a shame because I didn't mind it. It was, it was okay. Yeah, it was. But it was really, it, it was a lot like Lawrence Kasdan's son is just bitter about some experiences mm. he may have had in television. Pretty much. And, uh, and, and that just didn't, that didn't fly with me because at the, I, I mean, having worked in television and loving television, the day that I spent actually being part of a live broadcast, uh, this was uh, one of the grand final shows for Before the Game, I just went, yeah, it's everyone has their own opinion and yeah, there's no... Uh, it's, it's a little bit chaotic. and But at the end of the day, we're all making television. Mm. That, that was actually one of the best days of my life. And I, one of my best days of my life was actually also, like, I was in year 10 and I was at work experience. This is such a stupid story. Year 10, uh, work experience. This is like five, f- five years Shut ago. Shut up. <laughs> Shut the hell up, canal. Um, and a friend of mine had organised uh, me work experience on a Singapore Airlines shoot and we were out on the harbour with this massive, massive 35mm camera. I'm, not, I'm 16, never seen one of these before. And it's huge, and there were these models and lights. And, and my dad was a photographer. I grew up around camera equipment. This is not new to me. But something about the size of it and the fact that it was catering just made the whole experience phenomenal, <laughs> and it stuck with me for life. Uh, but the thing with the TV set is that that's actually... I found that a really illuminating movie, because what happens is this. It's this guy who's, who's got a script, this TV pilot script that he feels really passionate about. You can tell he's passionate because he has a beard. Um, and he follows it through development hell where, uh, you know, studio executives go, you know, I think it'd be better if it was a bit broader. You like broad, right? And, and it basically his show gets mangled in the process. And I found it interesting because I've read so many times about the process of development hell and how shows change and are mutilated by network executives. It was nice to see it fleshed out with characters and Sigourney Weaver being a bitch, which is her new thing. So you notice this? She plays bitches really, really well. The, uh, the the thing is, though, I, I watched it going, well, you know what? If you want to be true to your original vision, write, write a, a play. Novel. Write yeah. a play. <laughs> right? Write a one-act play. Put it on down. And, yeah. 
right? But you're dealing with television. You know the risks. It's uh, it's like that excellent line in Flying High. They they bought their tickets. They knew what they were in for. I say, let them crash. <laughs> and what a what a fond image we have of television. Let it crash. Let it crash. I mean, this this is the thing though. If you're gonna if you're gonna be involved with the producers who make television, yeah, you you take that risk. But then there are wonderful things that come out of it, and and it's only. I, I really, it, I still can only think Nurse Betty is the only thing that something positive comes out of television. You're right. But the other thing is that actually, if you go beyond the English speaking world, it gets even stranger. Because I think one of the strangest films involving a TV has got to be The Japanese Ring. Oh. Uh, which is interesting because uh, Japan has this amazing history of uh, of what they call, what we would call kind of video nasties. We're kind of direct to videotape movies that are very. Uh, often very dark and kind of just this side of snuff films. And, and they, they went on, and they've been making them for years and years and years, but that movie was kind of capitalising on the fear that one day you'd see something really, really horrific in one of those films that was just going to screw you up for life. And that's kind of where they extrapolated that story out. Well, curiously, it's, it's Videodrome at the same time. It's yeah, very, exactly. Very Videodrome in an odd way. taps into the exact same thing. So it's, it, it, it isn't limited to the English speaking world. And Japan also had uh, the, the Weather Woman. <laughs> I was looking for a picture of the Weather Woman for something else today, and I could not find a decent high res one that we could put in front of children. The, the, only, the only positive films I could sort of come up with about television tend to be real life stories uh, and, and sometimes news based. So you've got things like Frost Nixon, which is oh, sort yes. of saying, oh, here's the journalist fighting the truth. And, um, and actually, and uh, good night and good luck again. Yes, you know, of course. Trying to, but it's funny how they, they seem very specifically. Uh, about specific crusading journalists. Crusading. Yes. I think the other one, uh, one of my favourite movies of all time is uh, The Insider, which is a movie that's way, way too long. It has Russell Crowe and, uh, and, and Al Pacino in it. And I swear, underneath Russell Crowe's uh, a Beautiful Mind uh, kind of Oscar, it's written, I'm sorry, this was for The Insider, but we had to give it to Kevin Spacey. He's Kevin Spacey. We had to give it to him. <laughs> um, uh, that film is amazing. It's, it's, a, like, it's a really good performance from Russell Crowe, which is... I'll say it's rare. Yeah, I'm, I live in the same city as him. I fear he may beat me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, that's a really interesting film about the relationship between a journalist and, its, and his source. And I think those are the strongest scenes of that movie, just seeing the really intense pressure put on them from TV executives and from lawsuits and whatnot. That's, that's a really... Again, it's, just, again, it's not really a 100% positive image of TV, though, because well, you're also... It's it's essentially Al Pacino doing this, the same thing he did in End Justice for All. Oh, and I'm fine with that. And this is the thing. I, no, but Al Pacino yelling. Yeah, I'm there. It's fine. But it's but it's exactly the same story from from his character's perspective as well, where he puts his faith in the medium and the medium lets him down. Mm. Or the, it's also the corporation and, and and things like that. Actually, another interesting one in that regard is a film I don't know tons of people have seen because I only watched it as a midday movie. Not a good sign. It's called Mad City. It's got uh, Dustin oh. Hoffman and John Travolta. John Travolta plays a, a dumb hick with a gun. Ah, uh, America, how we love you. I saw it. Uh, I saw it at the movies. Oh, there you go. The, you're the person who's on. <laughs> yep. uh, and Dustin Hoffman plays this kind of sleazy journalist to TV pro- reporter who gets uh, who gets holed up in this hostage situation, being enacted by by Travolta and. He, Hoffman starts giving him tips for how to handle the media. You know, only release one hostage. You want to keep it. And things like that. And, of course, you can only maintain pe- people and therefore cameras' interest for so long. And when that happens, you want to bloody well hope your hicks run out of ammo. And that's kind of where it goes. But that's a film that's just such an incredible indictment of the effect of the kind of media manipulation, amongst other things. Well, it's funny because 
Hoffman also did Wag the Dog, mm. which is a, another one that, that is just, ooh, it's so manipulative. We can make you think anything through television. Wag the Dog is one of my favorite. Wag the Dog, I think, has actually improved over time after the Bush era because so many of the things, like, we need a war with a, with a theme song and a logo. I mean, mm. if that's not the Afghani invasion, I don't know what is. And that film has somehow gotten better because of the Bush. It's one of the few things that got better, thanks to Bush. Um, and and he, uh, he, del- he uh, based that character because he's... Firstly, Hoffman is orange. I, I watched that movie in about 20 minutes. We tried to come up with uh, a, a name for the sh- for shade of fake tan he was wearing. I think we ended up calling it Agent Orange or something like that. Because he's got this orange look because he was imitating this Hollywood producer, this really famous Hollywood producer called Robert Evans, who is uh, very well known. He uh, kind of produced The Godfather and Love Story and is also well known for being a world-class cock. Because his first rea- Robert Evans' first reaction to seeing Wag the Dog, realising that Hoffman was taking him off, was, yeah. I was amazing in that movie. There's <laughs> some sense of the, the ego that this man has, which, I mean, he's, he's clearly quite happy to make fun of himself. But Hoffman, I think it's one of Hoffman's best performances because he's just such a self-absorbed douche. And it's brilliant. It's great fun. But yeah, the manipulation in that movie is unlike anything else. It's, it's kind of audacious. And it has a, you know, a very, very young uh, Kirsten Dunst in it. And I'm okay with that. Now that, uh, now that cinema has uh, started to... Uh, well, sorry, so I'll start that one again. <laughs> now that cinema is dead. Now that cinema is dead. <laughs> Cinema's dead, cinema. TV's dead, it's all going. What are we doing here? Now that uh, actors have started to see the value in going to television and uh, directors and, and producers to some degree as well, uh, do you think cinema's going to start treating my love, television, a little bit more fairly? Because no, really this is all I about think they, me, Mark. Yeah, of course, like I figured as much. Um no, I think they're just going to get more and more bitter. It, the issue is films r- ride. Films become popular when they ride off a certain kind of. Try not to use the word zeitgeist because it makes me <laughs> seem like a tool. Uh, if cinemas, ri- okay, like cinemas, uh, films work best when they ride off a certain kind oh, of time ghost. Try time ghost. Time ghost. <laughs> I love that term. <laughs> I think cinema works. I'm going to try it for the fourteenth time. Cinema works best when it's it's flying off a popular consciousness. And what's one? Contemporary anxiety. Cinema oh, works nice. best when it that's flies nice. off a certain contemporary anxiety. And or part time of, ghost. Or time ghost. Or zeitgeist, depending what you're into. Um, swear to me, you'll edit this down. Um, <laughs> Not going to happen. I know. Um, and if they... And unless that anxiety changes, those films won't happen any more than they currently do. Which right. is so not a, as profound a thought as I wanted it to be. <laughs> so not worth the multiple false starts. <laughs> I, I, I want to uh, leave this with the uh, the image that, that I think is is probably the single image that most embodies how film uh, portrays television, and that's in. You are so much more a professional broadcaster than I am. <laughs> <laughs> You've got beginning, middle, and end sorted. I stumble through one line repeatedly. You uh, you get paid, and I don't. So <gasps> I know Josh went away for three weeks, and we <laughs> discovered that neither of us have ever listened to a single thing he said. So to get to the end of the shows, and we go and um, there's stuff you can contact us. There's a thing. What do we do? <laughs> I think the solution there is just to fade, <laughs> fade out, fade and boxers. The the one image that sticks with me as as far as how film portrays television is in Nightmare on Elm Street. Three. So not where I thought you were going. Really? Yeah. Uh, no a, one saw him going. I there. was going to say Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven Allows, but no, 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 no go no, on. No. I was going to no. say Static, but anyway, really, and no one was going with a face in the crowd. No, uh, that uh, the, uh, the 
just one of the uh, inpatients is sitting in, in a chair. Uh, they're one of the dream warriors. And, uh, and sit, sitting in a chair, falls asleep watching television. Freddy Krueger comes not so much out of the television as is part of the television, takes the dream warrior and smashes their head into the television. I think that's what film really thinks about television. I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head. And also, suddenly that episode of The Simpsons makes sense. Does he make a pithy quip? Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, something like, uh, uh, you've been cancelled. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Mark Fennell, thank you so much for, uh, for coming in and talking to us about this, uh, what I think is a fascinating topic. Quite totally. Frankly, if the listeners don't, I don't care. Well, screw them. <laughs> no, no, it was a real pleasure. Thanks but, for having us. Thank you. Yeah, hi, g'day. I'm Katrina Mathers and I'm on the Box Cutters. How cool is that? <laughs> Finally a clean guest. If you watch one thing on television this week, what would it be, John Richards? I'd be watching Filth. <laughs> yes. I would. But, but is there a particular show that you would... Uh... No, no, it's called Filth. Oh. I'd be watching Filth, the Mary Whitehouse story, which is a uh, BBC Two telly movie about Mary Whitehouse. She was head of the uh, the National Listeners and Viewers Association, I think they were called, um, which I, I'm never sure if they were real people or just her with a whole lot of fake voices. I agree with you, Mary Whitehouse. Anyway, Mary Whitehouse basically hated everything. She used to campaign in the 60s and 70s against virtually everything on television for being filthy. Really nicely parodied in an episode of The Goodies. Uh, uh, Patricia Carthorse? No, uh, something Carthorse. Yes. I, can't, I can't remember. But yes, it is a very funny episode. If and you for some reason, I think there was a lot of Monty Python uh, use of, of a similar character. There, there was. She was parodied quite a bit because she hated many, many shows, Doctor Who in particular. But um, a BBC Two movie, Julie Walters stars as Mary Whitehouse. You had me at Julie Walters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd like to see Educating Mary. <laughs> that, that would be nice. I think uh, if you watch one oh, thing... Oh, I should say ABC One. Sunday, May 31st, 8.30pm. Oh, that's important. I should probably tell you when it's on. Yeah. Yeah, watch that. Uh, I think uh, if you watch one thing, it, it should also be on ABC One. Uh, on Wednesday night at 9 o'clock, it's the return of Chase's War on Everything. Really? Don't you think they've been a little bit overhyped? I, I don't know. Already I saw... they're saying, oh, sorry, it's going to be the last season, blah, blah, blah. I, you know what? I, I find Channel 7 gives us money, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I find Chaz Lichardello... So entertaining. He is very entertaining. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to, to another season of him he, and his friends. He pushes himself. Yeah. Uh, I, I, want, I want this spin off that one that just does the voiceovers for the book show. Just that. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, I, I would like to see absolutely no Andrew Hansen in this episode, in this series, though. I don't think I'm going to get don't my you wish. like his songs? No. They're no, very, I don't. Very witty. <sighs> and he's got great hair. <laughs> If you watch great, uh, great hair. If you watch one thing, Tuesday, twenty sixth uh, of May. Uh, hopefully, you're listening to this before then. Ten p.m. till eleven forty p.m. on the SBS network. The road to Guantanamo. Uh, it's about three Pakistani Britons uh, who set out from Tipton in the British Midlands for a wedding in Pakistan, and uh, they get picked up by U.S. troops and uh, shoved into Guantanamo. Stars Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, Brian and Stewie. <laughs> or Brian and Stewie. Are, are, are you not uh, confusing that with Harold and Kumar go to Guantanamo? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, this is, this is a little bit uh, more insightful into the... Uh, the the bad stuff that went on there. Well, there's plenty to watch on free to air for you. If you've got brown skin, then obviously you're a terrorist and you're getting sent to Cuba. Okay, question three. 
Which Gareth, can I... Are all these going to be about war? No. i got loads of... i got one on tennis, one on the Suez Canal. Loads. OK, question three. Which canal links the Mediterranean with the Red Sea? Ah, uh, last week's question was... John Richards? It was. We were talking about the, 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 the dearly missed Bud Tingle, and it was a, a film-related question um, asking in which two AFI... Well, to name two AFI award-winning films in which Bud Tingle played a judge. Now, there were three. Well, curiously, yeah, the one I was thinking of, no one said, because as you know, Josh, I'm an enormous fan of... And he's coming out. And he's coming out. I can never stop talking about And he's coming out. According to... Um, Quite frankly, that? I'm sick of you talking oh, about And he's coming but out. But it's a great film. She comes out. And her name's Annie. Her name's Annie. And actually, I watched it again recently, which is what would put the Bud Tingle thing in my mind. It's actually a really good film. Tears? Um, Tears? Uh, apparently, his character has no name. Uh, on, it's Judge. It's just Judge. Judge. On he plays Judge. Anyway, that was not the one anyone suggested. Um, suggestions we got were, of course, Justice Muirhead in Evil Angels, or A Cry in the Dark, as Wikipedia insists it must be called. Um, because apparently that's what Americans call it, so that's what it is now. And a few people pointed out, and look, I'm going with this, they said that uh, in Break Morant, when he plays Chief of the Court, uh, L- Lieutenant Colonel Denny, that is the equivalent of a judge. I'm saying that's okay. I'm going with that. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think it's fair to go with that because nobody did mention Annie's coming out. No one. Not a no. single person. <laughs> no one. I just read through all of them going, somebody's going to mention Annie's coming out Someone now. has to. No one. I, I was really hoping for uh, Break Morant and Annie's coming out. Because yeah. Evil Angels, I thought, was a bit obvious. It was, yeah, whereas Annie's coming out. Oh. Anyway, Martin English. Monica mourns in that as a, as a nurse. Go on. Martin English, uh, obviously uh, a cousin to uh, producer of Murphy Brown, Diane English. Uh, and John is, English. And, and Yeah. Brother and, of John English. Sure. Uh, takes away the hooja, the crumpler hooja. Good on Crumpler for giving us stuff to give to our... On Martin's entry, he also mentioned here, uh, finally, according to IMDb, Tingle also played a judge at a Lamington contest in an episode of Mother and Son. Don't know whether that won the AFI awards or not, though. Yeah, and a a lot of people did mention uh, the the castle uh, where he played a QC. Uh, so not quite a judge, although they both wear wigs. Mark Lawless did point out, though, that uh, going through his filmography, it is an amazing amount of standard authority figures he was cast at, including doctors, judges, police, army officers, and, of course, Gramps. Oh, bless Gramps. This week's question, I don't know if there's an answer to it. What is the question? I, I, I want people to, to tell us, is there one other television show based on a foreign language series of books? Oh. So, uh, so please do your research because you will get yourself a chumpy. It's a very stylish black crumpler chumpy, which is kind of like a wallet. Otherwise known to uh, long-standing box cutters listeners as your chicken parmigiana holder. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. One, is, one is, parma in there. It is a chicken parmigiana holder from crumpler. It's, it's really stylish. And uh, if no one comes up with an answer, mm. I'm going to keep I'm it I'm thinking, myself. thinking, thinking. So you're saying like Wallander, we're looking for an English language. An English language television series, series. Based on a foreign series of books. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Send your entries. As in non-English speaking series of books. Well, books don't speak, but yes, written in a foreign language. Foreign yes. talking books. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, from here. Yeah, yeah. The UK is foreign. No, no, I did say foreign language. <laughs> but I was just correcting John there. Oh, we've just yeah. confused the issue. Hooray at boxcutters.net is where to send your answers or text us 0458 Cutter. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters, pod, 
carved. Done. Pork is on the table. Now, what was this thing that you were talking about before we started the news? The chick chick boom. What is that? Claire Werbeloff, uh from uh, this was uh, from some raw Channel Nine footage that was on their websites on the Nine MSN website. Um, somebody had been shot twice, I believe, in, in Kings the, Cross. And she was being vox popped um, about and, it. And uh, yeah, she was being vox popped. Uh, she said that uh, she'd witnessed it, and uh, it was very distinctive in her language that she was using. She uh, spoke she, bogan. She kind of. She kind of looked hot, but yet she she was speaking very bogan and talking about the bogan. fat wog shooting the skinny wog and, and going chick chick boom and yeah. yeah. So so, so there she's, she's she she became an internet meme and um, sort of was turning up everywhere. There was a somebody did a dance remix on YouTube mm-hmm. and there were t-shirts. The and, Actually, yeah. the 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 other uh, people interviewed later on in the footage are, are almost as entertaining. It is, but bogan none central. of them have yeah. have anything as as distinctive as chick chick boom. And it was it was put up as being. Um, it seemed to be released. It was literally like it was released accidentally. Like it was the guy who well, edits dance, Vox Pops. Uh, nine he, Raw. Yeah, and so you know the guy who edits Vox Pops said, you know, so like these are the most bogan people I've seen, or something along those lines, from the bit I saw. But anyway, but what what were you no, saying? No, it was just it was a serious uh, raw bit of footage that went along with the story about the mm-hmm. guy getting shot in King's Cross. Uh, there was no voiceover at all on the footage, um, so it was just what they'd uh, got from their freelance cameraman. I think it was freelance, um, and uh, so so she turned into the sensation, got PR representation, uh, Channel 9 signed her up, and tonight, Monday night, uh, before we came into the studio here, she was uh, interviewed by one of those ACA reporters. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is your revelation? You said there was a there was a revelation. About ah, her. well, in the papers yesterday, it was reported that uh, police had confirmed that she hadn't witnessed uh, anything down there, and, and she was a fake so she just made up a vox pop. She or? did. She did. See, and and I I saw all I saw was stuff about Chick Chick Boom, and I thought it was a a reference to the uh, comic book series Next Wave by Warren Ellis, uh, in which one of the characters uh, blows things up, but only blows things up after saying Tick Tick Boom. So I, I thought it was a reference to the uh, Ukraine entry at Eurovision, but that was sexy <laughs> bomb. It turned out, so I, I got that wrong. The the latest uh, remix that I heard uh, or mashup that I heard about was uh, somebody had redone Will Smith's uh, uh, Shake the Room, Boom yeah, Boom Shake yeah, the Room, Boom Boom Shake the Room with Chick 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 Chick. See, I don't, I don't want to promote bogans. Yeah, I, you know, I live across from Bogans, and, and they're making my life hell. I don't want to see them on my television or on the internet. I think there's enough Bogans no, in real life. I think you'll have to leave the country, John Richards, if you want <laughs> to avoid seeing Bogans on TV. I just think the, the Bogan Bogans level is increasing oh, to a degree oh, that, you know. So John has to leave the country, but when I suggest that people might want to leave the country, then complaining about it. Anyway, that brings us to the end of Box oh, Cutters oh, episode. Oh. What? Oh. You were well aware that we were getting to the end of yeah, the bread. Uh, 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 Earl is over. Uh, my name is Earl. Is all over. Uh, Ethan Suplee has uh, didn't we mention this? Last has week? revealed. No, 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 no. This just came up uh, yesterday. We said it was probably so, over. So NBC uh, was, were looking to dump them. They were in talks with uh, ABC and with Fox. He tweeted uh, last night saying that uh, Fox has passed. It seems that Earl is actually dead. The mustache will live on in our hearts. Hmm. Sad news. But probably not before time. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 183. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, 
Let's be careful out there. Box Cutters thanks 3RRR, whose studios we use to record this podcast pretty much each and every week. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you're in the Melbourne metro area. Crumpler provide us with our giveaways and you can learn more about their bags, wallets and pouches at crumpler.com.au. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto the iTunes Music Store or anywhere else you find us and leave a review. It will help other people find box cutters and then they can enjoy it too. Help support box cutters by wearing one of our wonderful t-shirts available at redbubble.com slash people slash box cutters. You can also now buy the DVDs and books we talk about at the You Do Buy It US and UK stores. Just follow the links on the blog and let the entertainment come to you. You can help make each episode last all week long by leaving comments on the blog at boxcutters.net. Email us at hooray at boxcutters.net through the Talk To Us link on the blog or via SMS on 0458 837 That's 0458 Cutter. Robert B. Oxcutter wrote in yes, this yes. week to mention that um, how many great the dramas that Boxcutters has introduced him to, including The Wire, The Shield, and The Sopranos, and he suggested that if Six Feet Under had been called The Six Feet Under, you boys would have liked it. I did I, like it. I didn't like it. John Richards, you liked it too, yeah? I did, yeah. yeah. He also says John from Cincinnati would have been more coherent if it was called The John from Cincinnati. I, I, do, I do think he's got an excellent point there. God bless you and all the pork that's sailing you. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.